episode one. Episode one. Looking forward to it. So hi everybody. I am Lisa Bresson. I am a program manager in the North Region of Grow NG Kids. I'm Stephanie Boyson, Senior TAS, Technical Assistant Specialist for Grow NG Kids North Region. So this is kind of a new format for us. We have decided to start to shift away from the tip, the traditional webinar format and we are kind of exploring exploring the podcast world. Switching it up. Yes. And I think knowing what we do for a living and the amount of hours that we travel in a car for me personally, I love podcasts. Podcasts are something that I use every day. Um, I really use it for not only for my brain to have more activity during my driving time, but I use the podcast to either switch my brain off sometimes. Sometimes we mm. do a lot of work at work. You know, our minds are heavy. We're talking a lot. We have a lot of information processing. So sometimes podcasts for me are to kind of disseminate and process that information. So anyone who knows me knows I talk about all mm -hmm. kinds of podcasts, all kinds of topics, um, anywhere from education to NPR to more of the crime so this is so up my alley. I was so excited when we started talking about this. Um, you want to go into how we kind of thought of this? Sure. Starbucks? So, <laughs> so Steph and I spend a lot of time in Starbucks. And they become huge brainstorming, brain blast sessions. And so we wanted to try and engage in a format that reflected our conversational our conversational work as opposed to just delivering information. So that's kind of why we decided to try and shift this and see what happens. Yeah, and we kind of fell upon this actually after one of our brainstorming sessions. We kind of paused and we were like, wait, this would be, if anyone... <laughs> this <heard> could work. <laughs> if anyone heard this conversation, they'd be like, number one, are they okay? And number <laughs> two, I want to know more about that. So I think this kind of style for us seems natural and it's just another method another format another way to get information to people so it's very exciting so i think what what we're going to end up what's going to happen is as the episodes progress we're going to be bringing in some guests bringing in people who are sort of um, have a certain special something in in different areas of early childhood development and education yeah and and child care. So stay tuned for all of those too. So for this episode, Disabling the Label, Redefining Children's Behaviors, we, we're going to frame this episode with three big questions around space, time, and climate. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but the, those are sort of the three defining realms of a classroom a classroom environment and we'll also look at what I've been calling windows of emotion in children meaning moments of extreme emotion that children have both what's perceived as positive and negative emotion and figuring out how to teach children to handle those when there's this open window so to speak. Yeah, and wherever you're listening to this, we, we say listen twice only because I know for myself, you know, I'm either driving or I'm either cooking dinner or I'm doing laundry. I, I listen to podcasts at home as well. 
So sometimes I have to go back and listen to it and, you know, because you get, you get caught up in the multitasking. So if you are listening to this, try listening to it, listening to it twice if you can. Um, but if not, we're just um, glad that you are listening in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> when we are talking about, you know, this, this framework that we're using, consider your classroom. So if you're a director, consider your classrooms. If you're a coach, consider the classrooms of the people you're supporting. If you're a teacher, teacher assistant, um, anything along those lines, consider a classroom, but also consider a certain behavior, a child with certain behavior, certain behaviors, because um, that's really going to frame our, um, you know, our, our the intention for the episode. So consider the classroom, consider a behavior. Keep that in mind for the rest of the podcast. And it's it's kind of you know recognizing these spaces or these teachable moments for social emotional learning before trying to figure out how to fill them. So we hope to to achieve a little bit of both today. So if we can just jump right in. So Lisa, I know you were a teacher, so was I. I was. And we have had students in the past um, that had exhibited these behaviors. And it just seems like those children in our minds were never absent. <laughs> Always at school. They were never sick, right? Those are the kids that came every day Always. consistently and it's, it's you felt like you never got a break but the oh, part uh, sorry no go ahead part of part of our my perception of those children i remember was it wasn't necessarily the behaviors because i knew instinctively that it was a developmental process but i didn't i didn't know how to handle them mm-hmm. and that was what causes caused the anxiety of knowing that this child was going to show up today. So I I knew that it was a developmental process for the child, but I wasn't always fully equipped with knowing how to, um, how to use these extreme behaviors in a way that were, that was teachable for the child. Yeah. So let's say you didn't have that prior knowledge of development, right? Let's just, let's just say you went in and the language that I've heard was, you know, we don't have the training to deal with this student. Mm. We don't, I worry about the safety of others. He or her or his behavior is unpredictable, right? They, they don't belong here. So we want to change that framework, change that frame of, of speaking with, to the child about about labeling, because I feel like a lot of what we see out there, a lot of the behaviors we see, see is because of something else that's going on, something else that's happening either right. at home or with themselves. So that language, we want to take that and reframe that language. Um, I just do want to touch upon Dr. Brazelton's um, work. He talked about discipline is teaching, not punishing. Mm. Discipline is conceived as negative, but discipline is a teaching moment. So, and as part of uh, part of our discussion about about uh, space and time, a little bit later we're going to talk about the classroom rules and developing those and and what that looks like. So our title is Disable the Label. So if we think about students in our, our classrooms or of the classrooms that we serve and support, a lot of the language is, well, they're, they might be this, or they're a little bit of that, or mm-hmm. they may have processing. We, we, but none of it is diagnosed. None of it is for sure. So we want to disable the label. Um, coming back from NACI conference in yes. Nashville, I went to this fantastic presentation about, about challenging behaviors. And one of the slides on the in the session said, labels are for jars. <laughs> I thought that was such a fantastic way to just... Label your spice rack, not your children. Exactly. So having that growth mindset of, if, if I label a child, I put them in a box, and that's where they stay. 
So taking them outside of that box and learning more about their behaviors and why it's happening Mm -hmm. can take, you know, that label can just put them in a box and they can never come out. Um, Something else she talked about too was if we think of the behaviors of all children, right? And let's say we go to the doctor and we have a headache and the doctor says, well, we'll just take your spleen out. That should work. (laughs) But that's not the right prescription for you. So if we think of how we manage behaviors, it's not the correct way or the developmentally appropriate way to deal with all behaviors. Right. So think of behaviors as individual for individual children. How can we help that one child? There's no right one right answer and that's what makes the question so difficult mm-hmm. because the question, the answer is going to look different for everyone and that's why through this we, we, we really want to help develop tools to be able to use children's behaviors to promote more positive behaviors and so that includes concrete ideas and strategies but it also includes having a wide perspective of behavior and perspective is a very powerful tool Mm -hmm. so if you almost look at it in the way of entering into an unfamiliar house right so you walking up you're walking up the sidewalk and all you see is the front of the house which might give you a little bit of anxiety. What am I going to see inside? I wonder what's going on around back. I wonder what's happening. How can I get out in case of a fire? You know, you never know. So having the perspective of this house from several different sides, then you have the opportunity of knowing how to get out if you need to. What are some beautiful views? What's going on beside the house? What's going on in the upstairs of the house? So having multiple perspectives on a behavior allows you to use to use that behavior in a way that will help that child work through and and develop emotionally yeah and that's a great analogy for any children especially the ones that we perceive as having a challenging behavior if you Mm -hmm. think of getting Mm -hmm. to the root of that problem it is uncomfortable it could be anxiety inducing because some of those problems can stem from something happening at home and that's a that's a hard thing to navigate so so that physical space piece, because you just mentioned home and what might be happening there. Mm-hmm. Steph, if you, if you think about the physical space of a classroom, mm-hmm. how do you, how, what are some ways that, that the physical space and the arrangement could affect children's behavior, both positive, but positively and negatively? Yeah, and I think there's a hundred answers to this question, but I think personally and professionally I think for me I walk into a classroom and if they're if it if the walls are just packed and packed and packed mm-hmm. with stuff it's very overstimulating I have a, a personal story um my mom can attest to this I was in the second or third <laughs> shout grade. out to mom yeah hey Nancy um sh- I would I was so bored in one of my classes that so this is the underwhelming portion of it too mm-hmm. I was so bored in class I came home and I Told her how many ceiling tiles were in the in the ceiling. Mm. I was so under understimulated that I I wasn't paying attention. So you have the extreme um, spectrum when it comes to overstimulation and understimulation. Mm-hmm. So you want that nice balance of if you if a child walks into the wall uh, into the room, what do they feel like? Are they feeling stressed because there's so much going on? If the room arrangement is is if the rooms are too crowded, is it overwhelming for them there? Is there not enough materials? Are they going to be able to play, play and be engaged? Are they able to burn energy within the space? Meaning, mm-hmm. is there a space for them to be active with their bodies? 
Also, something that we really talk about that's really important is that area for cozy space, an area where you can get away from the hardness of the classroom and just and just be, be comfortable. And even if you're having kind of a, you know, a calm down moment, a lot of our kids need that, that de-stimulation where they're, they're super, super hyped and um, their energy's going, 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 but they might need a space to decompress. Yeah, and, and I think when I think about this piece and, and the cozy area of a classroom, and then I think about how I feel when I go home and I put on really fluffy pajamas <laughs> and I have a really fluffy blanket mm-hmm. and I love sinking into a giant beanbag that happens to be in the corner of my living room. That's, yes. that's a true story. <laughs> so if we need that as the adults who care for the children, why, why do we feel as though that's not an important piece of the classroom yes. and that it's just something to have in the classroom. And, you know, for a lot of children, your classroom or, you know, the classroom that they're in is the safest, most comfortable place that they know. Mm. And that's a really important piece to consider depending on, you know, what population, your, what, what community your school might be in. But, but that's always something that to consider when when looking at your own arrangement and and what that co- what the purpose of that cozy space really is. Yeah. It's not just to check a box off on a list. Right. Yeah, and especially the feeling of safety too. Mm. You just said the, sa- the the safety piece. If you think of a child walking into the classroom like I said before, do, does their body feel safe, right? The physical mm-hmm. their bodies, but do they in their minds and hearts and souls do they feel safe in that way in the inside is their heart racing you know is are they scared they may not seem so but mm-hmm. thinking about that safety piece walking to the classroom and knowing they're going to be safe there is is huge for the physical environment and you did me- you mentioned a little bit earlier about display mm-hmm. and you mentioned about what's up on the walls what is up on the walls and what is not up on the walls and having in terms of that, it's also safety. So having things like a linear schedule, having something that allows children to have predictability, mm-hmm. having um, having things up on the walls that are meaningful to them or meaningful to their families, and having having the the display reflect them is a really important very strong strategy for just creating a, a community climate in your classroom mm-hmm. and in I, space. I remember as a teacher wanting everything to match I still do that's <laughs> kind of my that's a thing in my home too um, but I remember having wanting to have things look pretty and when I first started teaching but that's not necessarily what kids what all children need all, all kids want they need things that represent themselves. They need pictures of, of you know, their families and their and their cultures and mm-hmm. their abilities. They need things in the classroom that make them feel like they're a part of the community. Um, so that's a big piece there. I, as a teacher, I, I, I wanted them to feel that way, but it was, for me, it was more, oh, this looks pretty. They, they, they may mm-hmm. like this. Right. But now seeing it from, um, from this side, it, it, you have to have the space where they feel like they're a part of it. So and one, one other quick point before we sort of continue to move through. We talked about display and we discussed the extreme importance of a true cozy area. What do you, what do you feel, what does the, the room arrangement 
what message does that send to the kid to the children about whether they can feel emotionally safe in there or not Mm. Um, I think when it comes to emotional safetyness I think we need to consider what we have in the different interest areas mm-hmm. and also how the room is set up meaning are we able to walk across interest areas are we able to walk across children it's too mm-hmm. crowded are we able to have um, a space in the classroom for our own personal items where we can keep that you know those things to ourselves a little even a little basket if you can't have cubbies um, also again we mentioned the cozy space but mm-hmm. also you know the the teachers in the classroom and I think myself as well being able to be there emotionally and be able to add language I really think helps children self-regulate during the day mm-hmm. but having that space to you know move all your things and say I'm going to play with myself having also having the access to play alone yes in the classroom yes having the access to be like I need my space right now and not having to share or play with a friend or right. play in a group some kids that are new or just you know don't want to play with someone that day should have that space to self-regulate and play by themselves right and and the sharing and friendship and community building piece we can talk about forever. Yes, I know. <laughs> Been going on about that. Um, but I think the way that we set up our classroom and the way we are intentionally formatting this um, podcast is almost a preventative mm. discipline. It's almost that we're setting you guys up or setting our, our um, teachers up for success in the way that we, we're checking off all the boxes of setting up the space, time, and climate for our children Mm -hmm. so we can help them with behaviors that they have. Um, So how can, question for you, Lisa, Mm. how can your daily schedule be used to promote positive behaviors? The structure of the day is an art. Mm. (laughs) It's an art of ups and downs and ins and outs. It's a dance. <clears throat> definitely a dance. It's definitely a dance. And as as the classroom staff, as you as a teacher, thinking about do you feel stress at any given points of the day? Mm. And which which parts of your daily routine make you the most stressed as the teacher? And we're we're going to talk about that throughout this episode about examining your own physical and emotional reactions to things including your physical and emotional reactions to children's behaviors. But the pieces of the pieces of the daily routine that cause you the most stress are most likely causing the children the most stress also. Definitely. So, you know, we we talk, we always look at we look at the the balance between whole group times and small group times and individual choice times and and there's this whole balance with transitions and a lot of the times what Steph and I we call it the whole group trap (laughs) it's a trap it's it's kind of it's kind of the feeling of okay it'll be safer and easier this way because all of the children are together have control but it's it becomes much more difficult when all of the children are together and a lot of misbehaviors, if you, and this is kind of a space to notice when you do go back to your classrooms and after listening to this, is noticing what parts of the day most of the misbehaviors are occurring or what you're considering to be a misbehavior. Mm. At what times of the day are they occurring? Are they occurring during more rigid parts of the day or are they occurring during 
uh, times of the day when the children are interacting more because the different conflicts that the children have are going to look different based on the time of the day. And, you know, one of, one of the pieces that happens in many classrooms is, right, we set classroom rules. So there's a set of rules. And sometimes they, they should be co-created by the teacher and the children through conversations. But what that really is, just like Stephanie said in the beginning, it's really setting an intention. Mm-hmm. It's setting a social-emotional intention for your classroom. So, for example, if one during one circle time you have classroom rules, this is the classroom rule development day, right? Mm-hmm. The children won't know how to follow those rules the very next day mm-hmm. or the ver- that very same afternoon. So it's really about teaching towards the rules and not expecting that that rule is going to be followed perfectly mm-hmm. right away. Um, it's setting an intention of how do you, how would you like your classroom community to look and feel and mm-hmm. interact with one another throughout the course of the year. And these rules are just as much for teachers as they are for the children because it is the role of the teacher to teach towards those rules. Mm. Question for you. Mm-hmm. What part of the yes. day, now say what um, age group you taught as well. Uh, so I was in a classroom for many years, over a decade, that was mixed age. So the children were early three year in their early threes coming in and left when they were five. Mm. So it was a mixed age three to five, three to five year old classroom. Okay. So what time of day and or what activity mm-hmm. caused you the most, mm. you the most stress? What, what stressed you out the most during the day? It might differ from the beginning until the end you were teaching, but what right. like overall on average, what was your <laughs> most stressful time of day? Transitions. Mm. Um, the transitions... Um, the transitions were the hardest piece. The the nap time transition, lining up transitions, those are always really difficult, difficult times to navigate Mm -hmm. because we need to maintain as the teacher, you know, there, there are logistics. There is a one plus one equals two piece. You know, we can't rush through the hallways running because there's other classrooms that are it doing work. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't rush through the main office or or we can't rush through because we have to pass through another classroom to get to the hallway for example which happens sometimes yeah and so I think that the biggest piece for me was realizing that intentional transitions don't have to be directive Mm -hmm. so and okay so one example would be say we're in the classroom and we're going to the playground we, I need to make sure that my transition allows the children to pass through the halls relatively quietly because there's other classrooms with their doors open. Right. But once I get to the playground, the children don't necessarily need to be that that calm. So, for example, so so really what the process of deciding what the intention of the transition is, okay, where am I? We're in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Where do we need to go? We need to go to the playground. I know I'm going to be passing by many classrooms where they're doing work and we need to sort of maintain a level of, of invisibility. <laughs> so I might not choose the loudest song right. or the loudest body movement mm-hmm. that I can possibly choose while we're walking through the hall because that's going to, you know, it's going to 
create a lot of distraction and disruption in the hallway. Yeah. So I might choose something like, okay, you guys. So I think what I want to do is we're going to the playground, and I'm going to pretend... Hmm, I think I'm going to bring my puppy, so I'm going to hold the puppy really close in my arms so that the puppy stays, so that the puppy is ready to go outside. Okay, so everybody pet the puppy, okay? Mm. You might pat him on his head. You might tell him to shh, 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 but we're going to pass through the hallway and we're going to hold our puppies, okay? So let's do it. So what you've done there is you've created a situation where the children will kind of stay quiet quieter in the hallways quiet ish (laughs) in the hallways but you've also allowed it to be fun and engaging and and engaging right and so you know if if we want to squeeze a little lesson in there we can say see and because we're being so quiet you know those classrooms miss miss stephanie in her classroom she's reading to her kids now so we're not we're not disrupting her and that's very respectful right so you can infuse social emotional learning into yeah. those lessons it doesn't have to be a directive you know catch a bubble t- yes. <laughs> catch catch a bubble type of transition but, yes but really breaking down the steps of a transition to see what's appropriate at that time yeah um, once you get outside and you're getting closer to the playground, maybe you can start barking like puppies. Mm. And you can start to, you know, make the transition a little bit more active. So it's yeah. really deciding what the intention intention of it is. Um, and transitions are individualized for centers, too, because sometimes from the classroom to the playground, it's downstairs, across the hallway, and the safety has to be a part of it, too. So making sure that we have safety and engagement and just fun mm-hmm. also just just that's the one thing about kids is you need to have fun be you yourself not the f word <laughs> <laughs> you yourself being rigid it's just going to make the structure it's going it, to it infuses into your practice and it's going to get to them too mm-hmm. so just have fun with it but mm-hmm. the one thing that we don't want is that idle time just just mm-hmm. the time where they're not doing anything I, for, for me personally the most Stressful time of the day was winter time. Time to get your coats on. Right. There'd be scarves flying and gloves flying and jackets upside down, shoes thrown. You know, the, the, all of that just seemed really crazy for me. So that was my most stressful time. I think lining up to go outside, either to go home or to go outside on the playground right. during winter time, sp- specifically winter time. And 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 so that's a good point actually because your transitions will change and the the length of time that transitions change. The length of time that transitions take will change based mm-hmm. on the season, based on the time of year, because and the children's comfort level in the classroom. Interest, topic, theme. Right, and and so that up and down, you know, making sure that that the daily schedule allows for times of quiet, but also allows for times of active, energetic. You know, during the winter time, it's funny because you mentioned that it's winter's coming, everybody. Yeah, winter's coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> there were some days when we did our entire group circle time in the morning standing up. Every mm. single piece of the group of circle time had movement attached to it. Right. To the point where after circle time was done, they were grateful to be sitting down. Yes. Yes. So and they crisscross applesauce just on their own. It's, <laughs> and magically it happened. Yes. So each each, you know, piece of my of my morning circle time had a movement attached and that helped to regulate some of that pent up energy that always happens when yep. the children are pent up indoors a lot. Yep. Um 
So, and I think a part of what we want to make sure that we communicate to all, all teachers of all ages is if you have the same whole group strategy every day, same song, same, same weather chart, same everything, they're going to lose interest very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, Which is why we decided to start a podcast. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Diversifying your whole group. I mean, we're not saying whole group is bad. Whole group is a wonderful thing. Yes. Circle time is a wonderful thing. Yes. But what we have to do is structure the, the whole group time as uh, different either twice a week Add movements, add rhythm, mm-hmm. add song, add dance, add rhyming, um, add different math. All that kind of stuff that's different will change the way they, they... They're excited for circle time then. They're not like, oh, I got it, circle time, got to do the weather song. Songs are important, and um, being ins- consistent is important. But the whole group time should be different week to week. We we fell into the discussion on the whole group trap. So it's a trap. We've, 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 we haven't really visualized what the you know perceived negative behaviors during whole group time are because everybody who is in a classroom right now who or who has ever been in a classroom can see them in their head sure so we don't we don't need to spell it out but so some of the things that we are talking about will help alleviate some of those some of those behaviors and Mm -hmm. really you know, and shifting your perspective on what is the purpose of whole group time? Yep. What is the purpose of each part of the daily routine? And we can leave that as a question Yeah. and maybe address that during a later episode or discussion. But what is the intention of each part of your day? Mm. And, and really work off of that. And what is happening with the children's behavior? If, and if the children's behavior, if something's not going right they're going to tell you mm-hmm. <laughs> with their behavior. So that's where they then know. we look inward as the teacher and see how can I meet, how can I meet their needs. Right. So we, we, were ta- we talked about environment, physical environment. We talked about time, linear time, and what that looks like. The last piece is something that we call climate. And you'll see on the notes that are attached to this podcast uh, link, we have, you'll see the source there. But we talk about climate and what contributes the, to the climate of a classroom and how does that climate shape interactions in the mm-hmm. classroom? How does it shape language development? How does it shape social-emotional development? Yeah, and most of the time you can walk into a classroom and feel the mood feel the tone. Yes. You can feel if it's chaos, you can walk in and you can feel the, the lightness of a classroom. So that's the one thing when you walk into your classroom, what do you feel? Because if you feel that your classroom is chaotic or your classroom is, is you know, balanced, that's great. Take the temperature of your classroom. Bec- and, and how can you do that? If you walk in, what, what number one, what do you feel? What do you see? How are the students interacting? Um, And how can you, the big piece also we're missing here too, Lisa, is we're thinking about a classroom that's just one teacher. I think we should also, Yes. the focus should be on classrooms that have multiple teachers because how are you and your teacher getting along? Yes. How are you and the TA getting along? How are you and the students and how how does the group feel? Mm -hmm. Because that we should really take into consideration too. Um, And we talk a little bit about how there's a negative classroom climate that could be chaotic and a little out of control, but the positive could feel safe and respectful and welcoming 
and supportive. So those two kinds of classrooms, those are, I mean, you'd want positive and the negative can happen sometimes, but having that balance of feeling safe and having it be welcoming. Because the one thing we said before is, if a child walks in the classroom and they're like, no thank you, I don't wanna be here, mm. I w- you wonder why. Mm-hmm. Why does that child feel the separation anxiety, but you want them to at least transition into a welcoming classroom? And and children of this age, of, in, of preschool age, and even younger especially, they're paying attention to, do the adults in this classroom love each other? Does this classroom have space for me mm-hmm. specifically? Does it smell good? <laughs> That's something that I bring up often. Yeah. You know, it's that, that very, very personal sense of smell. And, mm-hmm. and it's very powerful for children, uh, for young children, especially under the age of three. We could go into that, you know. Yes. They, they can smell their, they can, you know, the, your, your, the scent of your mother is your first sign of safety. So sure. the way that your room smells, the, the lighting the noise level, all of those things contribute to this climate. Um, sometimes with the noise level, and, and this goes back to the physical space piece, you know, sometimes you might be in a basement space or you might be in a small space where the acoustics of the room, there's lots of hard surfaces, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's not a lot of <clears throat> soft things. And so going back to the physical space, you can't change the size of your room or the material that's on on the room is made of, but you can add rugs, you can add fabrics, mm-hmm. you can add things that absorb sound. So that's a whole, you know, that was acoustics 101. Yes. But, <laughs> but, but so the physical space and the arrangement of the room and the sound absorbing materials really do have... Um, they have an impact on on the climate. Right, and I want to consider too, mm-hmm. when a child walks into your classroom or your school, if mm-hmm. you're a director or someone, an admin, you, we, we don't necessarily understand what the child is coming from. Not yet. So not yet. So mm-hmm. do they have trauma in their life? Mm-hmm. Do they have, do they live with their grandparents? Do they, um, are their parents divorcing? Do they come from a great family, but maybe necessarily not the best neighborhood? So even temperament attachment do they do they have great relationships with adults so we don't know those things yet so for new children coming in that's a, again a, a really big thing to consider here but children walking into your classroom i still remember a girl that i had in kindergarten that would not even step foot in my classroom she was she held onto the door for half of the day i mean wow. she she was so scared to come in why because why she do did, you think? didn't want to leave her mom oh so it's that 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 uh Plus, she had things going on at home as well. Uh-huh. So she was so nervous to step in. And I think it took about, I want to say a month before she mm-hmm. even came up and sat in a group. She was one of those kids that needed the space mm-hmm. to herself. Mm-hmm. She liked that space. But we didn't know the background. And parents don't have to tell us. They don't have to. Mm-hmm. But knowing that piece of information will help them feel safe in the classroom and not wanting to step into the classroom and not wanting to participate in a group time could be perceived as a negative behavior right right Right? it could be perceived as a negative behavior Mm -hmm. if if we're not taking into consideration all of the pieces of this child yes and that's like the the, it's the house analogy Mm -hmm. they have multi-layers multiple spaces in their brain and and their bodies that they that you don't necessarily understand yet Mm -hmm. and that's okay but it does take time for that ch- that one particular kind of child, the new scared child, to to um, integrate into your classroom. 
And those, the way that, that classroom staff approach this, these types of behaviors is another piece. We haven't talked about the language part yet, or both, both verbal language and nonverbal mm-hmm. language. <laughs> we could have an entire discussion about nonverbal language, but, but are the words, so here's another question, mm-hmm. are the words and, and body movements that classroom staff use, do they help support a climate of creativity and exploration and that it's okay to make mistakes and try again mm-hmm. or are the child are the children on edge because right. they feel as though there might be a wrong answer to their question to the to the to, to the teacher's question right so having that climate of openness and having that climate that it's okay to try things out it's okay to experiment and that includes experimenting with behaviors too yeah, and that goes back to that goes to values. Um, I think we talked about what we want our classroom to look like and feel like, but again, how do you want the children to treat each other? Mm. How do you want the children to treat you and your staff in the classroom? What do you want your body and your language, body language and language, to communicate to others? And my biggest thing is how do you want the children to remember you? How do you want the children to leave your classroom every day or at the end of the year and talk about you after that? How do you want to be remembered? And I think a big part of their remembrance is how you made them feel. Yes. So it's all about how you make children feel inside. And if they like come in your classroom every day, they're going to like just being there because you're there. Mm-hmm. But how are you communicating that sense of being with them? every day (laughs) that's interesting there's and there's a lot of ways and the body language piece is another and one one thing that there's there's the you know discussion about good job Mm. (laughs) um good job and and you know the the way that we talk to children about their process work and these expression they're expressions of delight they're expressions of of interest and they do help create a positive feel because it's all it's the inflection in your voice and mm-hmm. it's and it's your eye contact and your smile and so those things don't take away from the climate but there are there's much much further to go with those verbal expressions of delight and so when we talk about wh- how does that affect how can we continue to promote positive behaviors with with these these expressions of delight and, and ways of validating children's work and validating children's efforts mm-hmm. um you know when we say good job um good job at breathing good mm-hmm. job good job at you know blinking your eyes um what does that mean and and so you know to being very specific so if if good job is part of your vocabulary and this is another you know, going back to what we said in the beginning about recognizing spaces before we can fill them. Mm-hmm. If good job is part of your vocabulary right now, when you go to, fi- when you find yourself saying it the next time, think about what you're saying good job at and uh, good job about and, and try adding on to your own sentence. Mm-hmm. So good job throwing out that garbage. Way to be a class helper. 
right? Yeah. So you're you it's it's being very specific mm-hmm. about what what they did well. What they did well, yeah. exactly. And so so that's one one space for good job. Another perspective on that is when a child feels confident. So this was another piece that we said we were going to bring back around of how to address behaviors both positive and negative. So we talked a lot about negatively perceived behaviors, you know, in whole group time and at transition times. But how do we perceive positive behaviors mm. and how much do we draw attention to them? Yeah. And when you have nonverbal children or children who don't have the vocabulary to describe their own emotions yet, which which we all do from right. zero, <laughs> zero to five, yeah. um, how do you recognize when a child is proud of themselves? Mm. How are you recognizing when a child is feeling good about their own behavior or about their own uh, work that they've done? Right. And when we, as the adult, no matter what you say, it carries a big stick. So that's kind of one way of saying it. So any anything that you might say um, negatively carries a lot of weight, yep. just like whatever you say positively carries a very, very large... That stick is heavy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you... How do, when we say things like, I like that, or I like your, I like your red shoes... I like that drawing. What is that doing for that feeling? So this is kind of abstract, and we don't have to go into it too deeply. This is another question that we can leave you with. But yeah. when, when a child has feelings of pride or feelings of accomplishment or feelings of um, it just positive feelings that we're trying to foster in them as early childhood educators, how do we allow them to hold on to that feeling and not take it as our own? Mm-hmm by saying I like that right so this is kind of a this is a long discussion and and neither of us truly have the answers to it but it's a worthy discussion to think about how are we how are we allowing that child to keep keep their positive feelings are we helping them label it when when a child comes up to you as a teacher right so if I say look so now Stephanie as the teacher has Mm -hmm. to choose how to approach that comment. Right. Yeah. And I think if, if we have children that do something in front of us that they're proud of, they look up at you. They don't wait to hear what you say. They look at you. <gasps> wow. So eye contact. Yeah. So again, it goes back to that, in the body language. Mm-hmm. So let's say they, you're outside and they made a basket. They look at you. Okay. So here we go. Miss Stephanie, look. I see you made a basket. You, that must have been, re- oh wait, art? Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, so this goes back to the talk less, ask more. How did you use that paintbrush when you were painting that, that art? I was doing this and this and this. Look! <gasps> so, it, 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 yeah, it's, it goes back to that feeling you have about mm-hmm. um, the praise. It's human nature to want to praise people mm-hmm. and to, to want to be positive. But when, when the children do something that they're proud of, they look at you for that inflection in your face, that, mm-hmm. that positive um, affect in your face. And they want to see how you react, not necessarily hear what you're going to say. And you can say things like, do you feel that feeling inside? You look really, really proud. Mm-hmm. You, you look like you just did a really good job. 
You look like you are really happy with your work. See that feeling? Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it feel like sunshine? You know, Mm -hmm. you can help them identify with that positive feeling so that the next time they're feeling it, they can label it, which, you know, which is part of the language, social emotional language development as well. Yep. And so we talked about perceiving behaviors Mm -hmm. and redefining how we see them and really looking, seeing it through the lens of kids, young children use difficult behaviors as they're trying out different ways of interacting. They don't know yet that this is something that you, we, that they might not be able to do yet. They're still trying things on for size. They're right. still role-playing. They're still testing, your boundaries. testing the edges of these emotions, right? right? Um, and, sometimes, and they have a very hard time controlling impulses. So that's the child development, executive functioning, self-regulation piece, which, mm-hmm. which we could <laughs> go into in another, Again, yes. another time. But um, they throw themselves on the floor. They hurt themselves. They hurt others. They destroy the classroom, and those are these are really extreme windows of emotion, mm-hmm. really extreme times of emotion. And when we perceive these as just that, they're deep expressions of emotion. Are they really ready to hear you talk when they're in the throes of a tantrum? Mm-hmm. Right when they've flipped their lid. Right. Um, when their primal brain is just saying, I can't take this anymore. Right. So they are looking, they are feeding off of the way that the adults in their life, the people who keep them safe, are reacting. Yeah. And I, I, I want us to consider that the classroom and the structure, so again, the, cl- the time, space, and climate, consider those as a reason, as one of the reasons possibly that this behavior is happening. Mm-hmm. So consider... Maybe the transitions are um, maybe not structured. Maybe th- there's idle time. Maybe whole group's too mm-hmm. long. So, again, the spectrum can be from what's happening at home to what happened in the car ride to the school that day. Mm-hmm. It could be that they didn't have breakfast that morning. Mm-hmm. It also could be consider the classroom and the structured time climate as a part of why the behaviors are manifesting mm-hmm. in that way. So just, just consider that. I think we... We never, this goes back to the language that we talk about when we don't have the training for that. We don't have the space for him or her. We mm-hmm. don't, they don't fit well here, but we should consider what we are doing as a part of that. And what you, what we do have is our own, is our own ability to see many perspectives. Yes. And that's, that's completely in our control as, as a teacher and as a classroom staff. And, yeah. you know, we, we talk a little bit about stress response and, um, you know, most folks have heard the term fight or flight, and that mm-hmm. all comes from the, the primal lizard brain, which we can, we can uh, go into that some other time also. But it's, it's, it's the part of the brain that's responsible for the control of emotions mm-hmm. and what happens when stress is introduced. Yeah. Um, some people have overactive stress responses. Some folks have underactive stress responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why it's important as the adult in the classroom to really examine your own physical response to stress. Right. Children's behaviors sometimes cause us stress. Yes. So how are we reacting? How are we reacting to that mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. 
I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, um, Armchair Expert by mm-hmm. Dak Shepard, um, one of my favorite podcasts, and he had Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who is the Surgeon General of California, um, the first one of California, and she had this incredible TED Talk about adverse childhood experiences. And on, if you knew the podcast and who the host was, you'd be like, why is this very intelligent, <laughs> smart, statuesque woman talking to Dak Shepard? Well, we, we find out that he had trauma in his life as a child as well. So she had this analogy that I, I will keep forever and ever and ever as long as I'm in education. She had this analogy about, let's say you step into a forest, right? Or my front yard if you live in where I live. Um, <laughs> you step into a forest and you see a bear, right? Your normal stress response, it, you know, that, that amygdala, that part of your brain turns on and y- your pupils dilate and your hands sweat and your heart races. That's a normal stress response, mm-hmm. right? You fight or you flight. Now, what if, she says, which I found fascinating, what if that bear came home every night? Mm. what if that bear was in your classroom every day mm-hmm. so that the consistent amount of toxic stress you have uh, manifests and develops in a way that will, will shape your stress response forever and and that response is perfectly natural yes. it's a perfectly necessary part of being a human as long as there's a bear yes yeah if there's no bear there then that stress response becomes um, becomes an issue. Yeah, becomes a problem for 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 being part of relationships. Right, and trauma so, can can is very broad. Mm-hmm. Um, you can remember things when you were younger to be being very simple to something very toxic. So in in this space that we talk about, you know, the stress response. If we are in a classroom and we have a child that just melts down, breaks down and is you know, very, very emotional, mm-hmm. that could be an overactive stress response. If we have a child who maybe falls and doesn't cry mm. or gets into a fight and doesn't have any emotions, that could be underactive because it's possible that that child could have consistent stress in his, his or her life. Mm-hmm. And we know a couple of kids that fight, fall down, fall off a chair, and don't cry. And other kids who, have, who fall off a chair get hurt and... You know, it, it it's like <laughs> it's like Shakespeare. It's like the most dramatic thing ever, right. and, and they're fine. Right. So you know, there's that spectrum of stress response. But again, we want to reiterate that that kind of stress response at that age group could be normal. Right. So, but just think of that bear analogy. You know, what if that child comes to the classroom every day, or on the bus gets bullied on the bus every day? Because that young kids are on a are mm-hmm. you know do have that transportation piece. So. Consider the amount of stress that they have every day, and we want to make our classrooms a not a non-stressful environment, not right. to add to the stress they have right. already. At that age, that they have stress already, it's kind of crazy. So the next time, you know, the next time, so if we leave the climate piece with this mm-hmm. strategy of taking the temperature, next time you have a child who has a full-blown tantrum, or you're having an extra stressful transition time in your classroom. Take a step back, examine and scan your own body, and examine and scan what your eyes are doing, how fast you're moving in the classroom, the tone and volume of of your voice as, as the teacher, and see what's happening in your own body and with your own voice, and see how it's contributing or helping the level of 
tension in the classroom. So we can leave that that part there. Yeah. Um, because that's really that's recognizing a space um, and seeing, you know how how seeing how the role of the adult in this stress in this stressful interaction with the child. Yeah. So when we also um, talk about our body language, I just want to reiterate this mm-hmm. piece too. Lisa said before that the negative interactions aren't always verbal. Mm. The negative interactions can be how our how our bodies facing children, what our what our eyes are doing. Yes, laser um, beam eyes. Yeah, and you know I think about me in uh, somewhere when I was younger. My parents, I didn't have to. They don't say anything. They just look at me, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I should probably stop doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But that's my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in a teaching mm-hmm. setting, you want to use your language as the base for discipline, which is not punishment, it's teaching. Mm-hmm. So use your, your body and your, your voice as a, a vehicle for a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to that um, behavior piece, if you have a child that's melting down, breaking down, maybe that time is not the time to talk to them about, here's why this happened and here, let's figure this out. It's about recognizing the space of, of their, right. their, um, what their bodies are doing, what their bodies are feeling, what their brains are feeling. It's teaching moment. Mm-hmm. I think we have to remember that we have to be less reactive first mm. because we think of the behaviors of why they're doing it. Why would they want to pour water down the sink? Why would they want to splash around the water table and get water everywhere? Why mm-hmm. is the sand all over the floor? It's because they're engaged in something. They want to do something. And I think we think of children's behavior as doing it out of spite. Mm-hmm. We take it personal. But the children that are playing in the water table and getting water everywhere... They really like water play. They really enjoy it. We didn't talk about that piece yet, about the sensory appetite, which sensory needs of mm. young children. And yeah. that, that, can be, um, that can be the source of a lot of perceived negative behaviors. They just need to touch. So any of the, the big body kind of play that you see children roughhousing or they're body checking each other or they're wrapping their arms around you, it's really, it's a, it's a sensory piece of, of the developing child. Mm-hmm. So even reframing the way that you see big body play and roughhousing and, you know, attaching and wrapping around, all of that is the child's developing systems trying to regulate um and so when you're trying to walk across the room during cleanup time and you have one child wrapped around your ankle Mm -hmm. so you know it's hard not to peel them off and and react right um but always considering first why that might be happening and that they might be overstimulated and that their systems might be overstimulated by the noise level of cleanup time by the very loud cleanup song that's playing in the background potentially Mm -hmm. by the bright bright lights by children who sometimes you know they they, this is part of the 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 time piece also is that giving direct instruction so during cleanup time if you see lots of kids aimlessly wandering Steph used the word idle time if they're aimlessly wandering think about how can I change my language other than it's time to clean up? So, so for example, so this is a, just one concrete strategy. Okay, you, Stephanie and Lisa, it's your job. Go put three things in the bin and then come back. Or go put three things in the bin 
and then go tell Daisy that she needs to put three things in the bin. So depending on the age group of the child following one or two step directions, this is one strategy for helping helping cleanup time be a little bit less chaotic. And I know we've kind of jumped around between time, space, and climate a bit, but it really does all interact and, and flow together in terms of you know how you perceive behaviors. Yeah, and, and, and also think about if you're feeling a certain way, mm. communicate that with the children. Yes. Because they're, yes. Able, they're able to recognize that, you know, if you say, I, I see that you're, you're all very excited, um, but, you know, if you even say, like, I'm feeling a little excited too. Maybe mm-hmm. if we went outside and got some fresh air, mm-hmm. this would help. Mm-hmm. Or I remember being a first-time teacher and talking about, mm, my head hurts. I'm having a headache today. I'm wondering if you guys can help me with that. I have and, tension in yeah. my head. This is a good, it's a good vocabulary yeah. expanding. I'm feeling nervous-sighted. Yeah. <laughs> a combination between nervous and excited. Play yeah. with the language. Play with the emotion labeling. Because yeah. um, it, it will only help them recognize if they're feeling the same way. Right. And they can say, I, I am too. And forming that kind of community of recognizing what you're feeling and your emotions, that's how we create that caring community of learners we have. We want to make sure that we, if children will come up to you and they'll say, Tommy's stressed out. I can mm-hmm. see he's nervous. Mm-hmm. Recogn- not just, not just mm-hmm. the face that we see, but feeling and their body language, recognizing he's sad. Mm-hmm. I think he's and, sad. And engaging in inquiry yeah. with the child. Well, how do you know? How do you know Tommy's feeling feeling nervous how do you how do you know that what can let's look at his body let's see let's ask him um engaging in inquiry about social emotional things with the children um is part of part of helping them develop the language and and the skill set to regulate yeah so i think we're about done with episode one my goodness yeah so i think what we would like to do is we would like to the our email addresses will be on the handout that you receive with the link to this podcast. And we really do love co-creating answers. And we really do love embracing the process of figuring all of this out. So send us process statements. Talk about your process with your technical assistant specialist through GrowNJ or with your director or with, with a coworker. There, there's no shame in process. And knowing when things aren't quite going the right way that's that's the first step so feel free to send us send us process process emails because we really do love co-creating these answers with you and with each other and with our whole team so yeah and please send us feedback you know this Mm -hmm. is our first episode and we hope to continue in the future and send us ideas that you have if you have any for the for future episodes we'd love to bring people on we'd love to change the format up as well so if you have any feedback for us that would Mm -hmm. be fantastic we love hearing feedback and you know if you took some of our ideas and some of our um, pieces and you implemented them in the classroom please let us know yes please let us know how things are working for you if they're not we'd love to again co-create and help you through your ta um through growing jay kids and just help you with that but we hope this reached you we hope that you had a great time we hope that you learned something today and we hopefully we'll see you next time here's to co-creating answers (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.